Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and I would like to welcome you to this broadcast of Shi'ar Jeshub, featuring the teaching ministry of my husband, Greg Scalzo, pastor of Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle of Madison, Connecticut. In the current sermon from 1 Samuel, we have seen the destruction brought upon the Philistine cities when they took captive the Ark of the Covenant. And when we left off last time in chapter 6, the Philistine lords had sent the Ark along with their offerings of fashioned golden rats and golden tumors to the Levitical town of Beth Shemesh, where it came into the field of Joshua. The impact of this ark, the holiness of this symbol, is displayed to the pagans by what happens here these seven months. But God would not give the victory to the Israelites at Ebenezer when the ark was brought out. With Hophni and Phinehas, with the apostate people. He was not going to give them the victory, but still now he displays his power and he doesn't need a single Israelite. Actually... The defeat of Israel at Ebenezer was not a matter of whether the ark was with them or not. Rather, it was their own presence. Forget the presence of the ark. It was their own presence. When Samson took down the Philistines, the ark wasn't there. It was the presence of the people in their sin who knew not their Lord that brought the defeat. Because without a single Israelite, God disgraces shames the five lords and the five powerful cities of the Philistines. Verse 17, these are the golden tumors which the Philistines returned as a trespass offering to the Lord, one for Ashdod, one for Gaza, one for Ashkelon, one for Gath, one for Ekron, and the golden rats, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines, belonging to the five lords, both fortified cities and country villages, even as far as the large stone of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh. So it sounds like they even made more than five rats. It was supposed to make five, right? But they must have said, hey, if we need one for each city, let's not leave out any village or any little cove, lest we still have punishment upon us. So they multiplied and made a lot of rats, a lot of golden rats, and stuck them in that chest. Even as far as the lodge, and it's implied stone of, that's not actually in the Hebrew, but it's implied by the words, even as far as the lodge Abel, the lodge stone of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord, which stone remains, that part's implied, to this day. So it's even as far as the lodge Abel of Abel, on which they set the ark of the Lord to this day, which remains to this day. It starts off by saying, even as far. A few Hebrew manuscripts do not have even as far. And instead of Abel, they have the Hebrew word for rock or stone. Hence, you have the NIV, if you have an NIV, or some other translations will say something like, they'll start a new sentence after the uh, fortified villages, it won't have even as far as, and it starts a new sentence saying, the large rock on which they set the ark of the Lord. Now I say that because sometimes if you have a different translation, you say, where is, what is he reading from? I'm reading from the New King James. 
Um, now we know up in verse 14 and 15, in this field of Joshua, there's this large stone. And it's by the stone that the cows stop. It's on the stone that the sacrifices are made. It's on that rock that the ark is placed by the Levites. But most manuscripts say, as the New King James, that even as far as the large or the greater Abel or the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord. Now, Abel can be translated meadow rather than a proper name. But uh, it's used as a proper name. There's a city in North Palestine named Abel. It's used many times in the Old Testament in conjunction with other words as a name of a place and as a proper name. And most likely, that's the case here. And most likely, the New King James is, is given it properly to us, even as far as the large stone of Abel on which they set the ark of the Lord. And right away, you say Abel, and you think about Adam's son, Abel. Most likely, the origin of the proper name that we have here in Hebrew the origin, the etymology of that word is different from the origin, the etymology of the name we say Abel. But you can't help but thinking of Abel and thinking about how he had the right offering, the proper offering, versus the wrong offering, the wrong worship, the wrong religion of Cain. You can't help but thinking about the contrast between the Ark of the Covenant here and the simple power of God versus the religiosity of the house of Dagon and the faith in the one true God versus the false religions and the imaginations of men. It was starting all the way back at the time of Cain and Abel. It continues to this point with the Philistines and Dagon, and it comes even into today when there are those that know the true God through Jesus Christ, his son, and those that make up such crazy ideas and follow them and bet their life on them and their pure imaginations at best and demonic inspirations at worst. You see, in the field of Joshua, in the field of Yeshua, in the field of Jesus, there's a great stone. There's a large stone, a place for the God Almighty to dwell. A rock, a great large rock, a solid rock, the rock that we build our faith upon, the rock of truth, the stone of Abel, the greater Abel, the great meadow of peace. That's the place for the dwelling of God, the ark of the new covenant, the right offering, the right way, the whole truth, the life of God, the true faith, and that ark and that stone is Jesus Christ. And if you can see that field of Joshua, and you see our faith, right in the center there needs to be the stone of Jesus Christ the foundation stone, the cornerstone, the simplicity of that faith without all the religious trappings. And on that stone was the offering made at Calvary. And we think about the field of Jesus and how his blood is the only blood that can be shed to bring us into the presence of God. And how God dwells among men through his son, Jesus Christ.
He is the Ark of the Covenant. He is the Word of God. And he has victory. He is supreme over all the rats and over all the demons and over all the tumors. Every principality and power, every disease and sickness is brought low before the feet of him to whom all authority has been given both in heaven and on earth. The field of Yeshua. And it remains to this day. Verse 19, Then he struck the men of Beth Shemesh, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. He struck 50,070 men of the people. And the people lamented because the Lord had struck the people with a great slaughter. This is the presumptuous sin of looking inside the ark. Remember when we read in Numbers, we studied how they packed up the ark to move when the glory of God would rise. When the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his sons shall come and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it. Verse 20, but they shall not go in to watch while the holy things are being covered lest they die. They were to understand the holiness of God and this symbol so much that they were not even to look upon it. Obviously, given the circumstances of the capture, that wouldn't apply here as it comes back in the cart. They couldn't be responsible for looking upon it here. But to open it up because of curiosity and to look inside in a Levitical town where they should have known better showed not only great disrespect for the power of God. And remember, we studied how years later Uzzah in the time of David, would reach out and touch the ark to kind of strain it out and would die. It's not only disrespect, it's irreverence and a lack of faith in what God has told them about this symbol. The ark itself is simply a man-made golden box. But God gave directions how to make it. God chose to dwell, what does it say, between the cherubim of the lid. He chose for it to be a symbol of his fellowship with Israel, a place where his people could worship him, so that they would have a revelation of his unapproachable holiness and majesty in heaven itself. How, how can sinful man approach a holy God? All these things were needed because how can we go into the presence of the Almighty? We saw last time that the ark as a sacred symbol depends upon him. There's nothing inherent in the box itself and its own earthly substance that makes it powerful. It's God Almighty who uses it as a symbol that makes it powerful. God is not trapped by the sacred thing. No box, no tabernacle, no temple made by hands. No, not even the heavens of the heaven, the highest heavens. Solomon says in 1 Kings 8.27, can contain you, O Lord. God is not trapped by anything. Yet, as Israel's most sacred symbol, and what God gave his instruction to them, the reaction to it, they treat it as common. As far as the ark itself is concerned, when speaking about the restoration of Israel and Judah to the promised land, and speaking about the new covenant 
that would come. He says, the Lord says, through Jeremiah the prophet, in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 14, Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. I will take you, one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart, who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. Then it shall come to pass, when you are multiplied and increased in the land in those days, says the Lord, that they will say no more, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, nor shall they remember it, nor shall they visit it, nor shall it be made anymore. So there's a point that the ark is not even really relevant because we have the fulfillment in Christ Jesus. Yet to them in Samuel's day, they should have showed it reverence, they should have treated it with godly fear, a wholesome awe. Given all the history of the Exodus and Moses and the presence of God coming down at the tabernacle, and the fact that they treat it in a common way shows really how they feel about God. You have been listening to the teaching ministry of Greg Scalzo, pastor of Shear Jeshub Christian Tabernacle of Madison, Connecticut. Our address is Shear Jeshub Christian Tabernacle, Post Office Box 518, Branford, Connecticut, 06405. Sunday service is held in Madison, Connecticut at the Madison Memorial Town Hall on Meeting House Lane in Madison. Please join us next time for Shear Jashub.